If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. We are back here after our spring hiatus, so thank you all for coming back. And boy, do we have a big show for you anytime we take time off. That means that a lot of things get backed up here on both Page One News and for our big Page Two guest today. This is a very special uh, monthly edition of the Nonprofit Coach in that this is the AFP Wiley radio show here on the Nonprofit Coach. This is Tuesday, April 30th, 2013. And as always here on the Nonprofit Coach, I'm coming to you live from the global headquarters of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. And it is time for Page One News. We're going to start off, as the announcer mentioned, you can call in when we get to our page two expert, and that number is 347-324-3080. You can also join us over in the chat room, and you can email me today at tedhart at tedhart.com. I want to thank everyone for the wonderful, warm, happy birthday wishes last week, uh, but that's not the birthday that we're celebrating uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a musical interlude, and then we're going to do a proper happy birthday. What is the happy birthday that we're celebrating today? Well, of course, it is 
the web, happy birthday, the internet, uh, public internet turns 20 today on uh, April 30th, 1993. Uh, Tim Berners-Lee developed a technology to help physicists and university and institutions around the world share information. The European Science Agency CERN, where Berners-Lee worked, officially made Berners-Lee's W3 software public domain, letting the public at large use it. And then following that, of course, what would we do without Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the rest? So happy birthday today to the Internet. I dare say that most of what we talk about on this show would not be possible if uh, 20 years ago today the Internet were not born. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, Page One News. Of course, you can follow along at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Uh, coming to us from the Chronicle Philanthropy, for all of you sports fans out there, uh, Senator Tom Colburn of Oklahoma uh, has uh, uh, suggested an amendment to the Marketplace Fairness Act um, to strip away the nonprofit status of sports leagues such as the NFL, the NHL, and the PGA. He says that that costs uh, the U.S. government taxpayers $91 million in lost revenue. So uh, that is our tax-exempt status notice of today. Sports teams may be losing their status. Following along in the radio links today, you can also download a really terrific report on how to design smart mobile apps and how to create a smart strategy. Uh, this comes to us from Crowd Compass by Cvent and it's mobile apps, the new event essential. This is a new ebook available over in the radio links today for you to download for free. Uh, next up here in uh, the Nonprofit Coach uh, radio show, page one news comes to us, a very dear friend. Uh, as you know, we took a few weeks off for our spring hiatus. That means that we have a couple of our regular updates back-to-back -back here on the show. We're going to start off with Lindsay Nichols, who's here with us uh, from GuideStart, and take it away for the GuideStar Minute. Thanks, Chad, and I wanted to wish you a happy birthday as well. I knew it was last Tuesday, so I didn't get to chat with you, so happy, happy birthday. Oh, how sweet of you. Thank you so much. I'm not sure if the, if the Internet birthday might be more important today, but <laughs> go ahead with uh, uh, what's going on over in GuideStar. So really exciting news. The GuideStar Exchange program, which I know you talk about when you travel around the country, um, we've actually just overhauled it to be more streamlined and easy to use. So we've actually created a new interface that has eight key areas, and that's down from 18. So there's a great um, kind of new interface that's easy to use. It lets you save your progress, stop and start as you'd like. It gives you the information that you want to put in much more easily. So we're really excited about it. that just launched. Uh, yesterday, so um, we're still kind of working out the kinks, but wow, we're so really got, uh, uh, hoping that nonprofits go check it out and tell us what you think. Making news here on the Nonprofit Coach. Of course, this is my opportunity just to remind all of our listeners, as I often do here on the show, the six pillars of success uh, for nonprofits online, and the number one pillar for success is a well-designed website, easy to navigate with unique content about your organization. The number two most important uh, of the uh, pillars of success for U.S.-based charities is a guide star strategy, and essential uh, to that uh, is earning uh, the exchange seal of approval from GuideStar. And so uh, what you're pointing out today is that there are eight essential elements mm -hmm. uh, to uh, meeting that standard. And, of course, the reason why we suggest that that is the number two most important thing that nonprofits can do to succeed online is because of who uses GuideStar. So why don't we uh, get an opportunity to tell us 
who relies on GuideStar for information? You bet. So we expect 10 million visitors to GuideStar.org this year, and we actually, through the GuideStar Exchange Program, we proactively push out the information the nonprofits give us to our partners, and we have huge partners. Um, we have a lot of grant makers, a ton of um, financial services organizations. We have well, a we're list not talking about chump change here. We're talking about Fidelity and American Express right. and T. Rowe Price, and, and these are um, very um, highly respected financial uh, institutions that high net worth individuals, foundations, and corporations often turn to for advice, and when they turn to them for advice, they're finding the information from GuideStar. That's exactly right. And we really know from all of our research that these people want, these organizations want more than just the IRS data. So they really do want information from the nonprofit, and that's what the GuideStar Exchange Program is meant to be. You know, help us tell the full story of your nonprofit. Well, that's terrific. We're looking forward to the road show on the eight essential secrets of success on GuideStar so that you can earn uh, your six pillars of success, number two being GuideStar. And today, that's Lindsay Nichols coming to us live from GuideStar with the news of the overhauled exchange seal of approval. And, of course, we encourage all listeners of the nonprofit coach to make that a top priority to earn that uh, certification this year. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks, Ted. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, it comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Uh, for all of you Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Doctor Who fans, um, all of those uh, folks gathered together and Wired Magazine uh, looked at the intersection of a geekdom and charity. Um, the article notes efforts such as Harry Potter's Alliance, which promotes literacy and civic engagement, uh, World Builders, a group created by best-selling author uh, Patrick Rothfuss to raise money for his, um, re from his readers uh, for global anti-poverty charity, Heifer International. Um, so again, looking at how there is an intersection between those who are passionate about science fiction and fantasy and those who are gathering together for important causes. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is a notice from the IRS of uh, what happened in 2012 to the number of charities in the United States and the number of charities and foundations registered with the IRS increased by just less than 2,000 organizations in 2012, uh, reaching a total of nearly 1.1 million charities and foundations in the United States. That's a tiny increase that comes just one year after over more than 200,000 uh, charities lost their tax-exempt status uh, due to the 2006 federal laws, which affected those who had not been filing uh, their 990 returns. So as a result, the number of charities remains below the nearly 1.3 million organizations that had tax-exempt status back in 2010. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is a, another uh, one of our monthly um, standards here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, but a new voice um, taking the place this uh, month uh, from Eva Aldridge over at CFRE. Uh, Seth, uh, Jeff Stranger is here, and he is their social media guru over at CFRE International, who is bringing to us now the CFRE Minute. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Ted. I'm happy to be here. And I want to tell you, if you hear cheering in the background, I didn't bring my own soundtrack. I'm at I'm live at Baseball and Education Day at Indianapolis, the Indianapolis Indians, and there's a lot of great nonprofits here that serve youth who are doing their thing. But so well, that's great. Cheering, well, I'm a huge baseball fan, so you always get uh, extra points by calling into the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show from a baseball park. Uh, well, but I, I, le 
I left the two o game to do this call. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I I appreciate your dedication to the nonprofit coach, but we'll get you right back to the show. What's going on over, and what is news over at CFRE? Sure. Well, first we want to say thanks to everybody that visited us at the AFP uh, in San Diego. We had our first meetup there. First time we've ever done that. A lot of folks, some folks as far away as Australia came to see us, hang out, have some food, and, and exchange ideas. Uh, our booth, so many folks visited the booth. We had a great time meeting people face-to-face, learning about their concerns, learning about uh, what CFR, CFRE is next of them. So we just had a fantastic time. We want to say thanks to everyone, and thanks to everyone who voted. We got voted the second most popular booth at AFP. And we didn't have a whole lot of bells and whistles. We just had a lot of fun people. Looking forward, we want to talk about social media. We're, we're on Facebook, uh, CFRE International. We're on Twitter. And we want folks to engage with us. We want folks to tell us their stories. We have a, a new website and a, coming up this summer and a new YouTube channel that will be launched next week. And the YouTube channel is all about nonprofit folks telling their stories. It's not about us talking. It's about you folks telling about your experiences, about how to study for the exam, anything related to CFRE, but in your words. So we want to encourage all the listeners out there uh, to join us on that, and uh, we'll have some special information for you here pretty soon. That's great. Well, Jeff, uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, thank you for stepping away from uh, the ball game. I'm not quite sure I could make that sacrifice, but uh, we appreciate it here on the Nonprofit Coach. And as always, the opportunity to bring the latest news from CFRE here on a monthly basis with the CFRE Minute. And that's uh, uh, Jeff Stranger from CFRE, who is their social media guru. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, as we look to uh, wrap up page one news, apropos to Jeff being here and being a social media guru, um, sort of a blast from the past. I don't know if you've been following the new things that are happening over on MySpace. Yeah, that's right. I did mention MySpace, completely new look, relaunch. And over in the radio links today, we have eight essential tips and tricks for using the new MySpace platform. So go and check it out. It looks really slick. I don't know what kind of traction they're going to get. We certainly are not encouraging MySpace as part of the six pillars of success, but it is now firmly on our back burner for us to watch that and to report back to you if MySpace starts getting a rebirth. But you can read all about it over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. And with that, it's time for us to head on over Oh, no, I'm sorry, oh, Simran, you're not going to forgive me here. Before we get to uh, page two, uh, last but certainly not least, uh, this week I'll be up in Toronto at the uh, uh, all-important Digital Leap Conference. Uh, Simran Duggan is here uh, with us to bring us up to date on all the festivities taking place May 2nd in Toronto. And Simran, please forgive me, I almost went over to page two without getting you in here on page one. Oh, no problem, Ted. I guess I can forgive you. It is the anniversary of the invention of the Internet. So That's right. Not <laughs> exactly. All the festivities are just going to my head here. So Absolutely. Um. <laughs> so it's, it's an exciting time. We're two sleeps away from our fourth annual Digital Leap Conference, which is a conference we hold um, here in Toronto in conjunction with yourself and now with CAF America, uh, featuring nonprofit fundraisers and marketers, all in the vein of expanding uh, digital knowledge within this sector. So we have really a banner conference ahead of us. We have 14 sponsors, um, nine speakers this year. We have great people from Blackbot, 
Artez Interactive, Cornerstone, and a couple of uh, new charities. Uh, we have a speaker from Unity Charity talking about storytelling, um, as well as a YouTube-focused channel from the guys over at Goalbuster. So it is really looking to be a banner conference for us this year. Well, it's wonderful, and I have to say I really appreciate the planning committee that we bring together each year uh, for yeah. this conference. Um, just how this conference is, tends to reinvent itself every mm-hmm. year because, of course, the Internet is always changing um, and wanting to bring the latest and most important practical advice uh, for charities to Digital Leap. Um, what mm-hmm. are some of the things that are new this year? A couple of things that are new is we're we're featuring some new plenary sessions. So we're talking a lot more about multi-channel fundraising, how you can use mobile as part of your fundraising strategy in addition to the pillars that we already know about having a great website, um, having a strong DM campaign. How do all of those different channels work together so that your charity can achieve fundraising success? We know after so many years that digital can't stand alone. It really has to be part of an integrated strategy, and that's one of the themes that we're really driving home this year. Now, this conference is almost sold out again, but there are a few tickets left. Where can uh, people find those tickets? Yeah, we do have a few tickets left. If you go over to digitalleap.org, you can still register, and it's happening in Toronto at the Art Gallery of Ontario. It's a beautiful venue. Um, a full-day conference with an after-party reception, lots of great networking opportunities and great educational opportunities as well. That's great. Well, I am uh, very excited to be with everyone, uh, the large crowd uh, that's already registered and coming together for Digital Leap. So I'll be up in Toronto uh, with everyone on Thursday. And Simran, thank you so much for coming on the Nonprofit Coach today and giving us the latest and greatest information about this year's uh, fourth annual Digital Leap. Thanks, Ted. See you Thursday. Take care. See you Thursday. And now it is time to move on to our Page 2 expert. I could not be more thrilled to be coming back from our spring hiatus here uh, with such a talented author here on the AFP radio uh, show here on the nonprofit coach. Penelope Cagney is here with us. She is a certified fundraising executive and is the principal of the Cagney Company. She has more than 25 years' experience on three continents as a consultant in fundraising, planning, and governance with organizations including the Musical Instrument Museum, Phoenix, uh, CFRE International, Alexandria, Virginia, the Joffrey Ballet in Chicago, uh, and many others. She has taught nonprofit management at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and the American University in Cairo, Egypt. She is the author of the Nonprofit Consultant Essentials, and for our purposes today, and we are extremely excited uh, to have her here as the uh, uh, co-author of Global Fundraising, The World is Changing the Rules of Philanthropy, which, of course, is part of the AFP Fund Development Series. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Penelope Cagney. Penelope, are you there? I am here, Ted. Ah, there you are. Uh, welcome here to uh, to the Nonprofit Coach. Um, now, this is quite an undertaking that uh, uh, you and Bernard Ross have put together uh, a phenomenal tome on global fundraising. It's a big planet. It certainly is a big planet. And uh, Bernard Ross, my uh, co-editor and I, couldn't have done it alone. So we had help from more than uh, 20 experts from around the world. 
Well, I've read uh, I've read through this book, and of course, um, uh, it, it, uh, very impressively, uh, the foreword is uh, provided by uh, Andrew Watt, the uh, new president and CEO of AFP International, as part of the Fund uh, Development Series. Why don't you give us a, an overview of what you and Bernard uh, were trying to accomplish in the creation of global fundraising? Well, we uh, first we wanted to point out some trends that we were seeing. Uh, around the world uh, in fundraising and philanthropy. And then we also wanted to give an overview of what was going on in the world. And um, we were able to locate experts in 10 countries and or regions from around the world. And uh, we probably overlooked a few important spots, but, but we did the best we could. Um, and, it, and it was a challenge uh, in some respects. It was easier to find um, the experts in some countries rather than than uh, others, and also we wanted to talk about four important areas um, for all nonprofits as we come into this increasingly global age. And what what were the areas that you focused on? I know you were you were looking at Central uh, in Eastern Europe. Is that right? India. Um, what, yes. what was yeah Africa? The Middle East, China, Asia, Asia, Asia. Uh, First and foremost, right. so China, Japan, uh, Singapore, um, India, uh, very important places where, where a lot of things are happening, but also Africa um, and uh, South and Central America, and um, also, of course, a, uh, Europe, Eastern and Western Europe, and uh, good old USA. Right. Now, is, uh, is the United States still number one in philanthropy? Ted, it, uh, it depends on how you measure it, and uh, uh, your own organization, CAF, puts out a worldwide giving index, um, <clears throat> which is increasingly looked to as one of the, the top resources for this type of information. And according to the last index, the U.S. is actually number five, and Australia is number one. Right. But it, it depends on how you measure it. So CAF is figuring in also volunteering and helping strangers and other measures of generosity. But if you go to uh, the Index of Global Philanthropy and Remittances, which is put out by the Hudson Institute, um, they figure in official development assistance, so government to government. And uh, by their measure, the U.S. is number one. But there's another report that just came out a few days ago by the um, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and the U.S. isn't even in the top ten. And what's that measure? Uh, that measures uh, percentage generosity by percentage of, of GNI, which is gross national income. So relative to the resources we have, according to this report, um, we're, we're not among the leaders. So it really depends upon how you measure it. And is that indicative of fundraising overall in that we find that the wealthiest tend to give a smaller percentage than the poor, and so you're going to see countries um, also respond in the same way and that those who may not be among the wealthiest, like the United States, uh, may be more generous as to uh, income? You know, I don't think that uh, we could say that across the board. I think it really varies. Uh, for instance, it's true that Ireland is a very generous com uh, country and uh, one that is uh, uh, not often needs its own aid um, in some respects. Um, but at the same time, we have um, other countries which, which do not have the resources, which are also uh, perhaps not as generous. But, you know, there are so many factors uh to figure into that, I think it would be difficult to say across the board. And, you know, and a lot has to do with culture. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, again, it's a big planet. 
as, as we it's said, a it's planet. a big planet. Now, in your book, um, if 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 I'm correct, in your book, you really focused on uh, well, you focused on a lot of things, but there are four things in specific that I wanted to sort of break down for our listeners today, and that's infrastructure, strategy, regulation, and impact. Um, yes. So when when you look at uh, global fundraising and you look at infrastructure, what are you referring to there? Well, when we look at infrastructure, we're talking about um, uh, we're talking about laws which are conducive to giving, um, like uh, charitable tax deductions. Um, we're also, how easy it is how easy is it to become a nonprofit? Can you get uh, are you able to get money in and out of your country? Mm-hmm. to receive aid, to give aid, you know, some of those things. Um, other things have to do with um, uh, also organizations that support the growth of philanthropy. You know, here in the U.S. we have, um, you know, we have, uh, in fact, in many other places besides the U.S. I mean, there are, there are universities, there are centers for the study of philanthropy, there are professional organizations like AFP and the Institute of Fundraisers in the U.K. So all of these kinds of, uh, all of these things support philanthropy and fundraising. Now, that that also ties into the notion of regulation. Um, yes. Where Where is it, um, where do you find sort of the perfect storm where it's uh, convenient to both um, raise money and give money? Where is it easy to give money and right. get money? Um, I think, uh, again, uh, some of the places are the U.S. Um, and also um, Europe, Mm-hmm. I think those are are relative, where it's it's a pretty well developed structure. Um, I think also uh, there are places in South America uh, where it is it is easy too. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, I, it's, it's easier uh, around the world. I, I would I would think as a general statement, it's easier around the world uh, to receive money than to necessarily move money outside of your borders. Uh Generally speaking, yes, but not necessarily. For instance, in China, um, if you want to uh, if you want to raise money on mainland China, um, it, it, it can't go outside. And if you want to give money to mainland China, it, it's also challenging. So um, they find that when when you want to uh, raise when you want to do nonprofit business in China, one of the easiest things to do is to set up in Hong Kong, where it's much easier for money to go in and out. And what about the the regulations specifically around the world? Where where do you find? Let's let's make it specific to uh, for for the first instance here, our U.S. Uh, based uh, fundraisers. If they're looking to expand fundraising for various topics, how likely is it that they're going to be successful in attracting donors from outside the United States? It depends upon your mission. Um, you know, if you have a global mission, I think that you're um, Immediately, obviously, you have an advantage. Um, also, um, it, you know, it just depends upon how you're structured. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing is we're seeing a growth in the area of INGOs, you know, so those giant organizations like World Vision. Um, they, are, they have been really rapidly growing in the past 20 years. These are multinational nonprofits. Um, it, it's often difficult to say exactly where they're, where they're headquartered, Greenpeace, organizations like that. Um, and they are uh, they're built they are structured as as international global organizations um, and their mission is such that it demands that they be structured in that way 
Right. So they have they have an advantage in both in in that they have brand recognition, but also they have um, uh, legal structures in multiple countries that allow them uh, to effectively raise money that isn't necessarily coming from outside of the country, but within their own borders. Right. So, you know, I, I draw a distinction. Some organizations call themselves international, uh, but that really means that they're, they're, they operate in some countries outside of their, their home country. To be truly global, um, it, it means a lot of things. It means a lot of different things. And what would, what, how would you define that? Um, to be global um, means that, um, the, well, as we, as we mentioned uh, just now, it means that your mission is global in nature. Um, it means that your structure is global in nature, that you are um, set up, uh, that, that you understand how to operate in different countries, that you understand the cultures of where you're operating, um, and, and how best to, to work in particular environments. So you, are, you have to study that. You have to pay attention to that. You can't just um, if you're an, if a, if you're a U.S. nonprofit, you're going to be challenged if you just go someplace else and set up the way that you're doing business here. It's just probably not going to work. As you know, the nonprofit coach has listeners all over the world. So, what if you are a charity listening to this show um, and you're headquartered outside of the United States, but you wish uh, to fundraise and to um, attract donors from within the United States? What are some of the challenges that you should be aware of? Well, one of the challenges um, is that we are we are America centric here, um, and I think that that's one of the one of the great challenges that people from outside uh, de- seeking to deal with us have, and it's also one of the challenges challenges that we have. It's our own um, you know prejudices, our own our own way of seeing things. Well, and, and that's true, but is it also not true that that Americans are among the most generous um, seeking to support activities outside of their own country? Um, well, that's that's true um, among the most generous, I would say. Um, in fact, um, uh, the Council on Foundations has, re- uh, the, excuse me, uh, Giving USA uh, has reported that the fastest growing category of giving um, uh, is international. In the U.S., so it's the most rapidly expanding. Even during the recession, it was the fastest growing. Um, so that shows that we are we're, we have a, an increasing interest in things outside of our border. I mean, that's because of media. That's because we go to school other places outside of the U.S. Hmm. Um, there's a whole host of things that are bringing the world to us. To us, and of course, both donors and charities seeking to raise money in the United States should be aware of the specific IRS protocols that are required of U.S. donors to receive a tax deduction. Of course, Americans can give wherever they would like uh, around the world without uh, much restriction. Of course, they have to be in compliance with Patriot Act and and, uh, and, and things of that sort. Uh, but to receive a tax deduction does require um, following IRS guidelines. Yes, but, you know, there's been recent uh, modifications to that. Um, uh, where where now U.S. donors can get a tax deduction to, for to giving to organizations outside the U.S. if they meet um, certain criteria, and mm-hmm. you know there's sort of a clearinghouse now, NGO source. Um, well, yeah, there the, under equivalency determination, um, the IRS has not yet determined that that information can be shared in a clearinghouse, but the information can uh, donors can access information. 
Um, so if you wanted to receive a certificate, for instance, from NGO Source or uh, from NGO America, um, then you can get an equivalency determination certificate uh, noting that that charity is equivalent to U.S. charity and therefore a tax deduction uh, can be uh, received. And so that's not a bad idea for international charities seeking to raise money in the United States is to qualify uh, for that sort of uh, uh, um, uh, certification. Uh, but there's also expense responsibility, um, which is how most international grants are made from the United States. Uh, equivalency determination is a very high standard, uh, is one that may grow over time. However, um, the only real um, change to the IRS uh, regulations um, was who can issue such a certificate. Um, they expanded the uh, uh, the base of that so that now CPAs uh, and enrolled agents um, are able to do that uh, evaluation. You no longer have to have an attorney do that work. Um, so it has sort of uh, freed up the access to the ability to seek that. But the standard uh, remains the same, and that's a, that's a very high standard uh, of equivalency. Um, yeah. So, so there, there are um, uh, important uh, issues for both donors and charities to understand um, but is it easier anywhere else in the world, um, even though there are um, you know, sort of uh, boxes to be checked? It is uh, eminently possible from the United States. Is there anywhere in, in the world that it is easier uh, for donors to move money outside of their borders? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I don't have a ready answer for that, but I do know that there are a, a number of nations which are very generous in terms of uh, both their uh, assistance, uh, government to government, and also their private philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Denmark, uh, the Netherlands, uh, th- those countries, uh, the UK have uh, have a long history of, of generosity right. outside their own borders. So, from the perspective of your book, global fundraising, what is the role of government to government as opposed to, I guess, people to people? Well, I think it's um, what is the difference. Um, you know, I think that there's different considerations. I mean, one of the reasons, one of the things that happened with I, um, INGOs, um, you know, a lot of them sprung up after World War II, and they sprung up to help other, con- you know, help other countries uh, recover from the war. Um, and initially, they were a part of or closely allied with some government organizations, um, but they split apart. Uh, and it's because the aid that's given to other countries has to be, if it's our government giving, it has to be allied with our public policies, mm-hmm. um, whereas private philanthropy doesn't necessarily have to have to do with that. So, you know, uh, INGOs, some of them that split off, uh, they were more interested in promoting the long-term growth of those countries, I mean, beyond immediate recovery from the war. Mm-hmm. So their, their, their focus shift, Shifted, and so uh, the purposes of private philanthropy can be different from those of, of the government. Mm-hmm. And we can well, also support things um, uh, that our, our government may not deem, um, you know, as as being our primary focus as as a country. Right, and and, and is that the case um, around the world, or or with other countries where uh, donors are are free to? what they would like separate from their government, or um, are there other countries that may support outside of their borders but have restrictions on what is possible? Um, I think that there are um, some. 
Um, I also know that there are certainly some restrictions in terms of what they can receive in terms of aid. Um, one of the things that we noted in our res research is that there are countries that are having uh, real challenges getting their um, nonprofit sectors up and running or civil mm -hmm. sector, and one of them being Russia, uh, another being Egypt, where some nonprofits in Russia actually nonprofits are 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 are, are being referred to as foreign agents. Mm -hmm. um, and well, of course, we, we we've all read of the recent raids on uh, charities in uh, in Russia, so that certainly doesn't probably encourage uh, people to get into that sector. Yes, no, it certainly makes it challenging, or because it's if they receive uh, aid, for instance, from the U.S., it may be seen as accepting um, uh, something that there's underlying motivations for that, and they. Uh, I, they, they're, they're rejecting that type of support from outside. Well, that certainly that certainly seems to uh, to be the, the the root of that. When when uh, charities um, are declared to be sort of foreign agents, um, is is there is that more of the theme, or are you seeing um, a general lessening of restrictions and interest in growing the sector? There's growth. There's definite growth um, in places like China. Um, they are. Uh, there's many things that are coming into uh, coming into play. Uh, laws are being the structure is being formulated. There's places where you can study. You can get a PhD a PhD in um, philanthropy, nonprofit management in China, um, and and the tax incentives. It's easier to become uh, an NGO in China than there has been previously. So with that and the fact that their middle class is growing and the fact that their um, wealth is growing in the upper tiers. That means that I think that there are places in the world where we're going to see a lot of growth in philanthropy in coming years. Mm -hmm. and, and will also, that be cross-border, or will that be, are you seeing um, oh, governments more interested in growing within their own country? I think it's going to be cross-border. I, I think that, you know, what we're, what we're experiencing here in the U.S., I mean, it's a global phenomenon. We're just much more aware of things. Um, we've been exposed to things like um, worldwide disasters, you know, tsunamis and earthquakes. Uh, that have, have, you know, opened our hearts and opened our wallets to people around the world. I mean, that's not just a U.S. phenomena. That has happened. Uh, that has happened everywhere. I mean, there were many, many countries that gave, gave to Haiti when um, disaster hit them. And there's there's things affecting us all, like AIDS, uh, polio. Um, it, there are things that that just stretch across borders, and and it is all of our concern. Well, that's that's encouraging because I, I I know, uh, for instance, in Canada, um, that's a, a, a very uh, rapidly growing charitable sector within their borders. But uh, the CRA or the, the uh, Canadian Revenue Agency uh, continues to be quite restrictive in allowing charitable tax deductions for international giving. Although, um, as you mentioned about uh, Americans and the rapid growth of international giving. Um, it continues to grow rapidly in terms of the number of Canadians who are supporting charitable activities outside of their border, but most of that is done without a tax deduction. Yes, yes, and that's true. I mean, and, and Ted, sometimes we overestimate the importance of the tax deduction in people's motivations, but, but certainly it is a factor. Right, right, and 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 so I guess what I was trying to explore is: Do you see the tax-deductible gift growing, or do you see people just being interested in giving themselves, regardless of what their governments say? I think both. Okay. Where where do you see the most rapid change in tax-deductible giving outside of the U.S.? 
or outside of uh, the borders of whatever country? Um, uh, well, let's see. Well, Europe and um, the UK in particular, uh, because they've been working on it for some for some time, um, they have got they've got well developed. Uh, charitable tax structures for mm-hmm. giving, motivations for giving. In places where things are rapidly changing, um, uh, China is is one place where they're moving to put things in place pretty quickly. Okay. So you think there will be um, uh, charitable in, uh, tax um, incentives for Chinese nationals to give outside of their country? Yes. Okay. Terrific. Terrific. It's coming, coming – uh, you know, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Probably okay. not quite there yet, but it is coming. Well, as you mentioned earlier, it's uh, Asia, Asia, Asia. So when we come back from this break, um, I do want to explore more about what you're seeing in Asia um, and what advice you have for my uh, listeners today. So uh, we'll yeah. be right back after this break. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are back here live with Penelope Cagney, um, the co-editor of Global Fundraising, How the World is Changing the Rules of Philanthropy. And uh, Penelope, um, probably uh, one of the uh, growing dominant areas of philanthropy is Asia. Um, And I know that uh, you have an entire chapter devoted um, to this topic. Can you help my listeners understand Asia, Asia, Asia? Um, sure, and actually we have more than one chapter. We have about four chapters. Um, okay, sorry. Yeah, to, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess when you look, you look regionally uh, uh, at India and Asia, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, one of the things I think that is um, surprising, and I would like to mention one other index of giving, uh, which some of you may not be familiar with, which is the Big Max Giving Index, um, which you can find on our, our book wiki. Um, and that is, uh, it has used a sort of a, a gauge which The Economist uh, developed to measure wages uh, by Big Mac. And we found that Hong Kong is actually the most generous according to the Big Mac Index. If anyone wants to look at that, that's globalfundraising.wikispaces.com. Okay. So, so a different, uh, different view of that. Um, but um, some of these to keep in mind about Asia and actually other places like um, Africa is some places that have been recipients of aid in the past are now considered donor uh, states. So, for instance, in Korea, World Vision, one of our, our big uh, INGOs, came into being to help orphans in Korea after the Korean War. And at, at some point, World Vision had to make a determination. Korea was doing so well that it was no longer going to be giving aid in Hong Kong. They were going to be raising money in Korea um, to give elsewhere. So, you know, places where we thought of, uh, you know, like Africa, um, Africa is developing its own philanthropy. It's developing its own wealth. And we just have to look at some of these countries differently than we have in the past. Um, Korea is, is an interesting place because there's a, um, a, a real a rapid development of individual giving, which is not always what we see uh, the first uh, to blossom. You know, it's often corporate giving and CSR uh, seems to make the most sense for many countries. But uh, in, in Korea, individual giving has really taken off, and there's a lot of um, uh, top giving to uh, uh universities and hospitals, somewhat similar to what we might see in North America. Mm -hmm. um, in India, India is, uh, you know, one of the, the BRIC countries, um, and so it is very rapidly growing its own wealth. It's innovating. It is one place to watch for innovation. Not only are we seeing things like um, microfinance, uh, which started with Grameen and has come out of India, but we're also seeing things like telefacing, um, there's some sort of hybrid forms of connecting with people, both digitally and face-to-face, um, -face, um, missed call dialing. Um, so there's, there's some, some innovations and ways of using things that we haven't seen before. So they never, you know, the way I've heard, everyone has, a, just about everyone in the world has a, uh, don't have an exact percentage, but the majority of people in the world have a mobile phone, you know, even right. the first people. And that has really changed things. Far more than um, have a landline. Far more than have a landline. So in India, they never had uh, the populace. Never, didn't really have. They went from um, having nothing, not having laptops, not having landlines, to everyone having a mobile phone. So they right. skipped the whole, uh, you know, same, same thing in uh, Africa. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and so that's um, that. That changes, and and they're innovating as in Africa. The way they're using mobile phones to to raise to raise money and for other purposes is is kind of a mind-boggling. Um, so this is um, uh, the way that some uh, nations are using technology. I mean, they're just thinking about it differently. So when you look at you look at Asia, you look at that as growing um, principally their 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 local philanthropic economies, um, but also innovation and in how the face of philanthropy will look in coming years. Um, yes, but, you also, but one of the things that I also think is interesting about what's happening um, in, um, you know, kind of what's turning our, our ideas around about where, where philanthropy exists and who gives and who gets, is that um, in India, not only do we have the Grameen 
uh, bank, uh, which is being set up in other places. But we also have BRAC, which is a, uh, a wonderful new, uh, relatively new INGO, which started in India but is now spreading throughout the South. So it's setting up – we have INGOs not just uh, originating in the U.S. and Europe, but we have them coming out of uh, Asia, coming out of the South, and spreading to other places in the South before they might come other places. So um, definitely things – Definitely things to watch. And what about Singapore? Um, Singapore, uh, we have to. It, 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 we have to keep definitely keep an eye on Singapore. Things are going to happen there. There's so much wealth there. There's a concentration of Asian wealth there, um, and there's also a determined, uh, very deliberate um, effort to make that a hub for INGO activity as well as um, you know a, a regional hub for. for uh, corporate growth and, and wealth in general. So, so where is the focus in, in, in Asia? You said that China is growing, but is the focus Hong Kong, Singapore, and Korea, or um, is is uh, is that not correct? Hong Kong. Uh, well, it's not. Uh, it's not in that. Uh, not necessarily in that order. And I would also say that there's some very interesting things happening um, in other places in Asia. Um, for instance, Japan, um, were, which is one of the wealthiest countries in the world, um, I think it's interesting to watch there because they uh, they're growing very rapidly um, in terms of their professionalism. At the AFP conference recently, there were 28 people from the Japanese fundraising organization uh, association there, and they're they're um, you know one of the reasons why we should be paying attention to what's going on outside is because we can apply it here in some ways and their population like ours is rapidly aging so they are um, coming to grips with that um, in terms of plan giving that they uh, foresee a real growth in that area so there's um, um, many places that are worth paying attention to so again it's a it's a big uh, big planet what should uh, uh we be doing to prepare for a more global world and and i guess you you view that as um um us charities looking at the globe but also cross border well i think that one thing that we can all do um particularly uh here in the us is we can learn another language you know we're particularly uh guilty uh, in, in this department most Many other places they have uh, they have one or two other languages under their belt, um, and that's because of geographic proximity. You know they have had to acquire another language, but uh, we still many of us in America don't have another language, and and we should. So that should definitely be part of our education. Um, we should start looking at um, perhaps joining other organizations outside of the U.S. Uh, for instance, uh, or going to conferences, the Resource Alliance which is holds a uh international fundraising congress each year perhaps attending a congress outside the US um they have a magazine you could subscribe to um AFP has an international blog which you can subscribe to if you go to their website um so there are and, and just in general to pay to pay more attention to what's going on um around the world so those are the some of the ways that uh we can prepare I also so think being more culturally true. sensitive um yeah, brings more awareness Absolutely, and and you know we have had this. I mean, our our country is so rapidly has so rapidly changed changed in terms of demographics. I mean, we've been dealing with that kind of on a micro scale within our own country, um, and you know it's just happening. 
it's happening everywhere, and and every and and many countries, not every country, but many countries too, are experiencing what we have in terms of having um, different waves of 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 immigration and cultural influences uh, coming in. Mm-hmm. And is part of it the the language that we use? I, I noted in uh, uh, Andrew Watts' uh, forward to your your book, and I'll just share this with with the listeners and have you because um, it, it seemed that that he was fairly critical of the professional level of education uh, through training and the resources um, that can be found, as he says in your book, that that really tries to stem that tide. But um, he says that we failed over many years to stand up and engage on the issue of this is who we are, this is the impact that with you we achieve, and this is what it takes to secure that impact. So he's saying that communication, engagement, and investment um, overall have failed and that your book is calling for more engagement, um, more communication, um, and that we we don't uh, we appear to not understand that if this is the case, if not us, then who? So it's sort of a, a call to action to say um, if if we don't start taking the globalization of fundraising seriously, um, is it going to leave us by? Well, I don't know if it'll it'll leave us by, but I do think that we have a responsibility to take some leadership because. Historically, our, our sector has been so strong um, and still has uh, among the most sophisticated fundra- you know, fundraising uh, organizations and, and professionals. So we still, have, um, we still have a role in leadership to play. So we should still be working to uh, promote the growth of, of best practices and, and ethical fundraising um, mm-hmm. in, in other countries as well. So we, we do have that obligation. So certainly our money can be exported, but can American philanthropy successfully be exported? Well, um, I think in a sense it already has. Okay. Uh, and I think that some people would already uh, argue with this. I mean, there there are people who say that, um, uh, you know, what the some people would say that there's been a, a sort of a triumph of democracy around the world, um, certainly a spread of capitalism. And those are things that are not the exclusive, um, not don't belong exclusively to the U.S., but they're so they are very much linked to the U.S. And as those things have grown around the globe, philanthropy has had to come with it, um, because you, you, in particular, there, there's, you know, but but charity has existed. It, it belongs to everyone. It's in mm-hmm. every. It's based in every faith. It's based in every culture. But in terms of modern philanthropy. Um, I think it's really one of the things that has promoted it greatly has been um, that has come from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And because uh, historically we have been we have had such a large sector because of the way our society is structured, we've been able to do a lot of of innovation and and grow things here. What are some of the new trends outside of the U.S. that that might catch on here, or as you just mentioned, is it is it still likely that the American model is what's being exported as opposed to new things being imported? Well, I don't. I think uh, one of the things that may, uh, you know, perhaps surprise some people is I think that innovation is happening elsewhere, and it doesn't necessarily come here next. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, face to face. Uh, which was uh, invented by Greenpeace in Switzerland, didn't come to the U.S. first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, and, and things like telefacing, uh, which is invented in India, um, has gone to the U.K., but has not come here. 
So that's another reason why we have to pay attention is we are not next in line for whatever else is being invented outside. And we, we really have to rethink um, in order to, to, you know, stay on top of things, we really have to be paying attention to what what is going on in other places. Also, our our donors, I mean, another reason to pay attention is our donors are increasingly global in their thinking. I mean, Bill Gates is one prime example, but there are others as well. Carlos Slim, the richest man in the world in Mexico, he just teamed up with uh, Gates and some other billionaires to fight polio. Mm-hmm. But the the largest donor to the Oxford campaign, the Oxford University campaign, was a Russian who lives in America. I mean, um, people are just thinking more globally, including our donors. So we have to, in order to understand them, in order to key into their their interests, I think we really have to be paying to, paying attention to what's going on globally. Is this global fundraising revolution that you're that you're mentioning in terms of uh, growth? Is this donor led? Um. Well, I think that there's a number of factors involved, but certainly um, the growth of wealth worldwide um, and the interests of donors, I think that is a contributing factor. But I also think that there are, there are um, you know, as, as I mentioned before, the, the spread of democracy, um, the, the spread of capitalism, um, those other things have, have sort of paved the way. So there's a, there's a, and also these, you know, these INGOs, I think that they're making, um, they make a difference wherever they're operating. They're making a difference mm-hmm. in terms of and how how professionalism is. Is there a downside to having too much influence um, in the hands of relatively few organizations? Well, there is. Um, I, I don't. I, yeah, INGOs are very interesting, uh, Ted. You could probably spend a few sessions on. on <laughs> you them. probably could. Exactly. Yeah, um, I, I think that um, they're kind of. In in a sense, I, I suppose the negative might be they're kind of like WalMarts, you know. Um, on the you know in that you know when they come to town, they sort of change the whole landscape of things. But on the other hand, um, they have the resources to innovate uh, that other nonprofits don't have. But I think that that's to our advantage because um, you know we can adopt we can adapt whatever they're doing to what to our purposes. So I don't I don't really see a downside to it. Um, uh, you know, and and actually, I think it would be very interesting to watch to see how this develops. But at the moment, um, uh, I don't really see a downside to these to these INGOs. I think that they're changing our thinking in a very positive way. So track them to see what's on their agenda to understand what's happening globally. Yes. That's great. Well, um, as I predicted, uh, time is moving very fast. Um, so before we run completely out of time, how can my listeners connect with Penelope Cagney? Well, Ted, they can find me on my website, www.thecagneycompany.com. That's one word, T-H-E-C-A-G-N-E-Y-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.com. And also I, I encourage them to go do the book's um, wiki site and weigh in. I mean, they can contribute to the Big Mac Philanthropy Index or comment on, on any topic related to the book. So that's globalfundraising.wikispaces.com. Well, we, uh, all of us uh, here at CAF America and uh, certainly here on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show, um, really applaud this incredible um, work that you and Bernard Ross have put together, global fundraising, how the world is changing the rules of philanthropy. Uh, I think the bottom line here is cultural sensitivity and understanding that uh, it is a very big world and there are a lot of different faces to philanthropy. Thank you, Ted. 
Thank you so much for being my guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. We will be back here next week on May 7th uh, for a very big show. Uh, We have Claire Costello here, who is with the Bank of America. Uh, She is the National Philanthropic Practices Mm -hmm. Executive for Philanthropic Solutions of the U.S. Trust Bank of America Corporation, and she will be here with their latest report. Uh, Join us next week, May 7th, here at 12 noon Eastern, here on The Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.